Comrades, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we have a couple guests today. Uh, Robert's not here today, but we do have a couple of guests. We have first off returning champion Benjamin Hoffman. Benjamin. Good morning, Hoffman. comrades. Hello, <laughs> Jeff. Thanks for having me back. Sure. Uh, and, yes, uh, this is. Benjamin Hoffman of uh, the Sunrise Movement, New Orleans Hub, uh, one of the campaign managers. Nice. And we also have, new to the show, first appearance, Sage. Sage, if you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, all. Yeah, my name is Sage Franz. Um, I'm also a campaign manager with Sunrise Movement, New Orleans. And we're really excited to be here and talk about the campaign we've been working on. Great. And um, so... Uh, just for just to quickly, I guess, set the table for our audience. Can um, can uh, one of you uh, just sort of describe the Sunrise Movement broadly, and then also um, the manifestation that's local here in New Orleans? Uh, maybe if you want to start us off, uh, Benjamin. Yeah, totally. So the Sunrise Movement is a national uh, youth-led, uh, membership-driven uh, climate organization fighting for green jobs and a sustainable future. Um, so that takes different shape in different places. Uh, there are hubs all over. I believe there's over a hundred uh, across the United States. And here in New Orleans, our Sunrise Hub is uh, focused primarily on fighting against the expansion of LNG export terminals. Great. And LNG is uh, liquid natural gas, correct? Yes. Uh, so it's liquefied natural gas, um, but that is kind of a misnomer. Natural gas is very much branding. Um, that is, you know, it's methane. It's an yeah. extremely destructive uh, greenhouse gas. It is four times more heating in the atmosphere uh, than carbon. Um, so natural gas is really just sort of an industry term for it. It's liquefied methane. And the reason it's liquefied is because that's the easiest way to ship it. So these liquefied natural gas export terminals uh, what they are is they take fracked gas, mostly from the Permian Basin in like New Mexico and some of Utah and some of Texas. Uh, so they frack gas over there. Eventually it gets down to these export terminals where it is super cooled into a liquid state and then put on ships and sent uh, to other places in the world where they use it for energy, for heating and cooking and things like that. And basically uh, from soup to nuts, the fracking to the burning, every single uh, step of this is dangerous. 
either from gas leaking um, or, I mean, mostly gas leaking, but also uh, like dangerous things happening at these various facilities, uh, increased fracking and drilling and building of pipelines. The shipping itself is harmful for the environment. Um, it <laughs> displaces communities, everything about it uh, sucks. And the richest people in the world just get richer uh, in this process. And they have a vested interest in global conflict, such as the war in Ukraine. Um, so not good people doing terrible things for the environment. Yeah. And um, yeah, you, you mentioned that, uh, and I think it's really important to, to, to drive this home. You, you mentioned the sort of term of art, or I guess the ter term of commerce of it being like liquefied natural gas or whatever, just to sort of make it feel like it's, or make it seem like it's um, something that's not processed, not dangerous, not like, like the, the sort of like naturalization language is something that's, that's, that's rolled out very often to, 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 out things that are i mean sure it might be natural it doesn't make it not dangerous yeah and just to add on to that like this this term like natural gas is very much like a greenwashing term because they're touting this uh this fossil fuel which it is a fossil fuel they're touting it as like the bridge fuel from moving out of like oil and gas because they know that obviously the time of oil and gas is sort of up Mm -hmm. but they're still trying to extract every amount of money that they can from fossil fuels. And um, this is like their answer is like, oh, well, we found this new technology to get this gas out of the, basically out of the wetlands and frack it and cool it and send it overseas. But it's like better, it's much better than oil and gas. And um, essentially mm -hmm. it's not at all. So <laughs> It's very much a it's very much a continuation of the propaganda machine that oil and gas has been spewing at us since the eighties that um, that these things are not harmful when they knew all along that they are. Yeah, and it's also like that's other, another thing as well. Like, oh, we need this bridge, uh, this bridge uh, fuel or whatever because we have not invented solar panels or wind farms or geothermal energy yet. I mean, like, like you're just invest you're investing billions of dollars into continuing natural gas as opposed to doing things that are less extractive and that are less uh, modifiable. I mean, straight up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the there's a fork in the road right now like and we're we're going in this direction of natural gas we could be going in the direction of renewables but they're choosing to continue this fossil fuel extraction yeah it's it's so dangerous uh, i mean it's like it's guaranteed to heat the planet like the mm -hmm. the science is settled at this point like we're already at a dangerous point for humanity to exist it's getting worse and these effects just sort of, uh, I wanted to say snowball, but I feel like we shouldn't say snowball when we're talking about. <laughs> but like it just it it gets worse and worse and worse, and the people that are, you know, invested in these sorts of projects understand the science better than anyone, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they're like. <laughs> They know exactly what they're doing. It, it's just fully delusional. They, they don't care about life on Earth. 
And I, they I don't care about it more than getting paid, I guess. Maybe they care about life on Earth, but they care about getting paid more. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> we, can, uh, we can also introduce this idea right now. I think it makes sense to, to talk about carbon capture, which is this sort of technology that they're coupling with LNG, mm -hmm. say, in their... Oil and, the big oil and gas is saying, look, we're going to be net zero carbon emissions because we're going to capture all of this carbon that comes out of these LNG export facilities and we're going to bury it underground with totally unproven technology. <laughs> so um, they're trying to, they're, they're continuing to like pat themselves on the back that we're just going to invent our way out of this pro problem instead of actually just stop exploiting the land in general which is like that's exactly the same kind of like we've already tried that with with certain parts of nuclear energy and with like radioactive materials and just like burying that which have you know these millions of years half-life or, or whatever and like it, it's just like another one of those sorts of things is like we could just bury our problems into the earth or whatever like bury this methane it's so wild right. here in louisiana it's especially like just a guaranteed bad idea like the they call it ccs carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and sequestration the storage sequestration part of it is we're gonna put all this stuff this toxic waste back yeah. into the ground and like there are uh there are designs to do this under lake moripaw and Lake Moripaw already has leaking wells. So they're going to put it in a place where they know there are already leaks. Like that's their plan. That's the design. And to, to make matters worse, uh, the regulatory bodies that should be fighting against this that are in place for the very reason of fighting against this are essentially captured. It's like a very much fox in the hen house sort of situation. The real thing that they're capturing isn't carbon or methane. They're capturing they're capturing the regulators. Yeah, I mean, and so there was just this um, court ruling that uh, granted um, basically control of who regulates uh, these wells that uh, CCS and like just other like there are thousands of leaking wells all across Louisiana. So now who's in charge of regulating them is the LDNR, the Louisiana Department of Natural Resources, which has done a terrible job. The EPA essentially just gave up that responsibility, uh, which was a, a, a huge blow, honestly. So this is definitely like a moment where we need to come together against this and be galvanized and let people know what's happening because the regulation of this is set to get worse at a time where we can't risk that at all. It's, it's set to get worse. Like we've gone from a John Bell Edwards governorship who was no friend of the environment to a Jeff Landry, uh, you know, like administration who is essentially like contemptuous to even the idea of what we're talking about that would even give us to you know entertain the lip service of uh, of it all so it's it really is a terrible scary time uh for for you know the environment and for things going forward um 
yeah. So thank you all for setting that up. And then I guess uh, to talk a little bit about your campaign, I guess, Sage, if you would like to kick that off, just sort of describing a little bit about what, what, what the campaign that you're working on has been like. Yeah, cool. Thanks for that question. So Benjamin and I started this campaign back in May, um, really focused on, first of all, kind of the first few months over the summer coalition building with a lot of frontline groups outside of New Orleans. A lot, a lot of this work is happening in South Louisiana, Plaquemines Parish, Southwest Louisiana, right along the coast is where a lot of these um, export facilities are being planned to be built. So we spent the first few parts of the campaign just really trying to figure out who do we need to know, who do we need to build relationships with, um, knowing that our role is really, we knew from the get-go that we wanted to build a base of young people in New Orleans. Sunrise is pretty traditionally a youth-based organization. So we yeah. wanted to really be able to rally a base of people in New Orleans to then be able to direct at fights that are happening along the coast and outside of New Orleans. And so, um, so yeah, our first major actions were basically teach-ins where we pretty much brought in some speakers from frontline orgs and they they were able we got I mean our first teaching was close to 50 people second one around that too and just offering food and having people come and just learn like what we just said you know what is CCS what is um what is LNG what is this build out that they've been planning kind of under our noses during COVID honestly a lot mm -hmm. of this planning happened when people were really focused on keeping their lives together um, during COVID. And then we all kind of got up in 2023 and we're like, wait, 20 LNG facilities are being planned along the Gulf Coast. How is that possible? I mean, a lot of these frontline groups have been looking at this and been tracking it for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. But that is a lot of the reason why Benjamin and I were brought on as campaign managers just to get the word out about LNG and how, huge of a build out this is and really in my opinion if we haven't had it already is kind of the nail in the coffin in terms of being able to keep us under the 1.5 degree warming global warming because of the amount of methane that's going to be leaked into the yeah. atmosphere if these facilities are built so yeah so we started out with some teach-ins and those were went really well and then we started to have some actions in the city um, we had some we had a big action in co in coalition with the climate march that happened in New York City on September 17th. And the theme around that march was death to fossil fuels. A lot <laughs> of frontline organizers from Louisiana and Appalachia went up to New York City. So we did a march down here in solidarity with them. Um, and they actually led that march up in New York City. 75,000 people were at that climate march in New York City. And that march was led by um, some of these organizers that were uh, that we're working with down here in Louisiana, because they're really on the front lines. They are the ones who have been experiencing the results in po pollution from these plants. And also, to be real, are some of the first, I don't like this term, but I don't know that we've come up with a better one yet. They are the first people who are being displaced by climate change at this point. The people who are down in Cameron Parish and who are getting Lake Charles, who are getting blasted by hurricanes over and over again. These are yep. the people that are really on the front lines. 
So, yeah, so that's really been our, our focus is bring those people up to New Orleans, teach us what's going on down there, how can we help you. And a lot of it um, has been us learning and then bringing that to groups of people and then um, getting people energized. And the last thing I'll say, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this in a bit, is like a lot of, a lot of this campaign has been building towards this big um, action that we're planning just in a couple of weeks. Um, but a really big theme that we've tried to make sure was consistent throughout all of the actions has been um, art and music. I mean, we're in New Orleans and we really wanted to make sure that we're focused on joyful resistance. Like what are we trying to save here? The culture of this beautiful place. And um, obviously we're angry, but we have to really also balance that with the joy that is making art and music and sending our message that way too. Yeah. If you listen to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3, this is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, Benjamin and Sage joining us from the Sunrise Movement, New uh, Louisiana Hub. Um, you know, it's interesting that you bring up the uh, the culture thing. Um, there's sort, sort of like some, I don't know, some hand-wringing, I guess you could say, about sort of, you know, like culture's place in any kind of political or environmental or whatever movements. And sort of like, it's, I, I always think of it as the culture is always going to be there no matter what. Um, so you might as well take advantage of it where 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 it does make sense, and also like what you're discussing the art and the music and all these things about New Orleans. That stuff's actually, I mean, it is kind of at stake from the perspective of if New, if there is New Orleans, New Orleans culture is gone, and that's yeah. New Orleans food is gone, New Orleans music is gone, New Orleans like just everything that goes along with it is something that cannot be replaced. Yeah, I mean, there actively trying to push the culture away and like turn this area of the world into just sort of like an extractive zone uh i mean the venture global is really the biggest uh like lng company um that has a presence in louisiana uh based out of your neck of the woods in virginia right outside of dc um I have Northern Virginia, where all of the bad stuff comes from. Yeah, for real. Uh, <laughs> but you know they don't they don't provide like many permanent jobs. They don't pay taxes at all. They just make profits and make the place unlivable. And one of the first like real cultural um, you know areas that's affected is the fishing industry uh, because of the coastal land loss and just general pollution um, before you even factor in the dredging of the Mississippi river that leads to saltwater intrusion mm -hmm. and the increased level of shipping. This is extremely yeah. hard on shrimpers and uh, people who, I don't know what you call people who, uh, our oyster 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 people uh, <laughs> oysters <laughs> but the the whole seafood industry is affected by this and that's a massive part of the culture of south louisiana and, and the economy i mean exactly <laughs> like if if you work in the service industry like <laughs> that that affects you even if the restaurant you work at or 
you know, whatever part of the service industry you work in isn't like seafood focused, that's a huge part of what brings people here to, you know, spend their money. Um, so like it's, it's a real risk to people's jobs, like beyond the existential threat that it already is. Yeah, bro. Like I worked at uh, a seafood restaurant when the deep water horizon spill happened. And like, I'm like watching this, I'm in the dining room, a full dining room, like looking at the television <laughs> and seeing these like millions of tons of oil, just like spilling into the Gulf. And I'm just like, you ever see the episode of Seinfeld where like the Kenny Rogers chicken, when like Kramer puts the sign out <laughs> in bad chicken and they're like, that's not going to be good for business. Like that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and like, like seriously, the next several months that was, there was, um, and it obviously the next several months, there was like almost no, um, there was almost no um, body going to the restaurant and getting getting um, seafood because of that, and like obviously they, it was to the point where people needed to to, to I mean we were actually pay, like given there was lawsuits and there was people that were like offered money to like not to to settle essentially and it was like a real huge deal and like that's just one example. This is like and and it's like one very visible example. We're talking about something that is. Um, I don't know, potentially permanent, a lot less visible, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, the the threat is immediate at so many different levels, whether that's, like, the danger of a leak going bad or, I mean, uh, just about a year ago, a little over a year ago, there was a massive explosion at an LNG facility in Freeport, Texas, Um they had to evacuate some of the surrounding area. People got hurt. And uh, a lot of these facilities are basically like cookie cutter copies of other facilities. Like some of the construction is even like done overseas and then shipped in. So the possibility of more accidents is definitely high. So there are like immediate risks at the sites of these things. We all know the dangers of fracking. Like we've seen fire and sludge water coming out of people's sinks. That's a part of this. Like there are just so many levels of this that are extremely alarming and like put, you know, people's livelihoods and people's lives at risk. And that's before you even start to talk about the like, massive global impacts of like a heating planet it's like they it's it's an it's a terrible idea it's just so blatantly a bad idea and it's not helping the people of louisiana in any way at all and these companies act so paternalistic towards the communities that they set up shop in like they'll you know kick a few like a, a few dollars towards like a fundraiser that builds a playground or something and then stamp their name on it and mm -hmm. try and like launder their reputation that way or to sponsor a charter school in like a poor new orleans suburb or like areas or something yeah or they'll you know say that they're going to create jobs and then they just don't do it and they act like oh well if it weren't for us what would this area have and it's like if it weren't for you this area would have the ability to decide what it wants to be mm -hmm. like it's it's paternalistic and it's 
false. Like they they bully people and act like they're doing something good for them. Mm-hmm. It, like they have contempt mm-hmm. for Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like they, they, and this is sort of like a part of what the struggle I think is. I mean, if you remember um, the green new deal, when that first rolled out, I mean, one of the, the, the initial pushbacks, was that it was going to be like harmful for jobs or something like that, that so much so, so to the point that like, you know, the, the national AFL CIO um, actually had a part of released a statement that was saying that like, we're going to need more information about this before we, you know, can move in that direction because of like, there's a thought of impacting jobs, even though there's this entire section of the green new deal, which was about, a just transition. And it was just like one of these things that we have to sort of like figure out how to work around that mindset of, you know, of these quote unquote job providers that are really just, I mean, taking advantage of, of, of working people in, in these places. Right. So, and in Louisiana, there's not even, yeah, sorry, just in Louisiana, there's not even talk of a just transition, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. not even really, concerned about renewables at this point um as evidenced by wanting to just continue to frack gas yeah so yeah it's not even a part of it and and it's not even something because if there is something like a just transition that actually forces it forces that change right like that that, that's actually one of the, the better parts of the something like the green new deal which which is actually an affirmative pathway towards an alternative lane to go down uh which i mean it's an existential threat to these to these fossil fuel industries straight up yeah i mean exactly I, I feel like something that gets lost uh, in the conversation about like a just transition and a green new deal is something that existed during the new deal where like the jobs programs weren't only, you know, infrastructure jobs and like rebuilding the necessary parts to stimulate America's economy. Like that was a big part of it, but they also sure. knew that, it would benefit everyone if they gave like grants for artists to just do arts. And like, if we're really trying to create an economy that's not based off of extraction and our eventual destruction, then we can invest in things that already exist that people do that are low carbon that we don't think of as green jobs because they're not, you know, someone putting up a solar panel or, you know, working on a wind farm, like we can build schools because they're pretty low carbon, like teachers, that's a green job or artists, that's a green job or nurses or what have you. Like there are so many things that humanity does that we don't mention in these conversations that are extremely important and things we can invest in. Like we, we don't need to be building LNG export facilities Nobody's benefiting from that except for very identifiable people who are benefiting from it and are trying to gather in New Orleans to further (laughs) plot the demise of this place that they're coming for this conference to, you know, come here and like get drunk on Bourbon Street. Yeah. 
So um, you're listening to WHIVLP in New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Benjamin and Sage from the Sunrise Movement New Orleans. Um, and we are talking about, um, so we're talking about um, the really the incursion of these na- liquefied national gas, natural gas, natural national gas, uh-huh. Freudian slip, I guess. Um, but natural gas um, facilities, the export facilities, which are sort of you mentioned that they popped up during COVID. That kind of, I mean, like the first alarm bell that went off in my head when you said that they all popped up during um, during COVID was like I, I really thought about the, like Naomi Klein, the like disaster capitalism um frame uh, like that whole idea like never let a good opportunity go to waste and and that's when a lot of times you see these 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 efforts kind of get shoved through is when everybody is concerned about something like a massive global pandemic that's killing you know infecting and killing millions of people so um yeah yeah that was really uh and and really a lot of the this was also sparked a lot of this expansion was sparked by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, because at that point, then there was a disruption in the supply of natural gas that was coming from Russia. So the United States at that point kind of swooped in and said, oh, well, we'll fill this gap. And they're taking advantage now of being able to trans uh, ship natural gas over to Europe, specific- most importantly to germany germany is like a big importer of this but yeah i mean you can really look you can map the beginning of this expansion of liquefied natural gas build out plans and the invasion of ukraine like it's very close Hmm. that's that's i mean again another one of those non not surprising things i mean uh russia is a lot, like a major pet like petro- petroleum dealer in in the world economy and having that be cut off uh in the midst of the the, yeah. the war in ukraine makes a lot of sense so uh in the united states of course even the democrats they're i mean they don't say drill baby drill but the policies are very similar <laughs> yeah definitely i mean the expansion of fracking happened largely under the obama administration and these LNG <laughs> export facilities, the approval is coming from the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. And there are like state and local regulatory bodies that have some jurisdiction over this. But this is definitely something where the the president has a lot of control. Um, so you know, right now, uh, in Calcasieu Pass, there's a fight to help stop the the building of a facility. It's going to be colloquially named CP2, which would be the largest LNG export facility, um, I believe, in the world, definitely in North America. Um, and the the target of that is really like Biden and the Biden administration and mm-hmm. the energy secretary or department of energy head uh jennifer granholm yeah and um i guess you mentioned that there was a conference coming up that was uh of the you know the the industry an industry conference can you sort of describe what's going on there and 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 why even it's happening in louisiana 
Yeah, uh, well, it's called the America's Energy Summit and it's happening in Louisiana because this is really the epicenter of oil and gas extraction in the world, honestly. And what happens in Louisiana over the next five to 10 years is going to affect the global warming of this planet. So um, it's fitting and also incredibly arrogant <laughs> that they would have this conference here because um, they are also responsible for destroying many of these communities. So yeah, it's called the America's uh, Energy Summit. It's happening at the Convention Center in New Orleans, January 16th through the 19th. <clears throat> and yeah, it's going to be a conglomeration of a lot of different uh, extractive industries, energy industries. We are seeing a lot of LNG CEOs and companies that are going to be there though. So our, our main targets are going to be kind of these LNG um, panels and just helping raise awareness about this issue and like the expansion because this is going to be a big opportunity for LNG execs right now to really get the ball rolling and get things get get things moving in the in, at the pace that they would want them to be moving at this point because here's the other thing about this is like in some ways as we've been researching this this is sort of a planned obsolescence because of the fact that like this bubble that is exporting LNG is maybe gonna burst. It's not gonna last mm -hmm. forever. And possibly even this market might collapse in the next four to five years. So they're trying to exploit it as much like the housing bubble or whatever. They're trying to exploit this as fast as possible to make as much money as possible to get these export terminals online. Um, and with very little like concern for like what happens to them if there's a hurricane or like if the market does crash and they don't need them anymore, they're like huge, massive facilities that are taking, filling in hundreds of acres of wetlands. But they're, it's very much like clear they're not concerned about what happens after the fact when they don't need them anymore, which I think is very possible. Yeah, this conference, like, why it's happening in Louisiana. There's definitely the, you know, this is where the build out is happening the most all along the Gulf coast, but especially Louisiana. But I think there definitely is a part of it where these are very wealthy people mm -hmm. who are having a conference in a place that they find an attractive place to come visit. Like, they want to come here and they want to exploit the culture that they're already exploiting, but they want to enjoy it. They want to taste it for themselves um, while they're killing it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's perverse. And like, <laughs> you know, we've seen some of the like names of the talks that the speakers are giving and they're like, it's like climate change. People, are starting to care about that? Should we worry or not? And like, <laughs> like communities happen to be places that we want to uh, make them go away from. Yeah. Our All these things we have to pay lip service to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it's like, it's, it's perverse and they know it. Mm. So we want to show up and are planning to show up and you know, show them that their opposition is a lot more attractive than what they're doing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, you, one of the reasons that we've like had success in this campaign, Sage was touching on that earlier, is that like we've had a focus on art and music and community and like those things aren't just sort of like a throw in to make what we're doing more fun. It's entirely necessary for us to be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And like so much so that it is actually the alternative to what we're fighting against. So we have to build that up in order to fight against it. And like, you know, the other side is extremely well organized with, money and you know uh, like systems of oppression so we have to be organized with like bonds that we create with each other there's really no other way to do it so that's how we're planning to show up at the conference um you know we definitely want (laughs) to make it a less attractive place for them to ever do this again but also like we're going to have a giant puppet show with music that's going to be beautiful and tell a beautiful story of real organizers who came to this work because they were affected by, you know, the build out of this industry. Yeah. So I guess that's what um, showing up and the sort of response that y'all have planned. You mentioned a puppet show and you mentioned teachings and and things like that. Um, That's sort of like what the, you know, the idea is to sort of have, have that, have, um, the sort of like resistance look like something like that? Yeah, so we want the resistance to be so cool and attractive <laughs> that people want to be a part of it, right? And when we started to think about what we were going to do for this conference and how we were going to show up, um, we, we had some members of Sunrise who had been a part of protest puppet theater before in other places mm-hmm. around the country. And they were like, we should do a protest puppet like street theater. And, you know, this is like an interesting thing in New Orleans because obviously there's like huge parading culture and huge like mm-hmm. um, art and like, and honestly big puppet making like uh, mm-hmm. scene in New Orleans. There's a huge puppet fest in April. And um, so we're like, a lot of us have been in kind of involved in this, but like around like partying in Mardi Gras and, and we're, and now we're kind of channeling it towards Um, this like activist protest angle Mm -hmm. and I've been having these conversations a lot because we just entered Mardi Gras season essentially yep exactly I was just thinking that yeah there's so much energy like creative energy that happens around Mardi Gras in the city and we're starting and especially with a lot of the organizing that's happening around the war in Palestine right now there's is a hotbed of organizing right now in New Orleans. And how are we using the art that we create for these big events like Mardi Gras? Like, how can we steer this ship? Not in a way that's like militant or angry. It still needs to be celebratory and joyful. But we can use that energy to tell, to to send a message of opposition and resistance. And I think like, it feels really good for us to be able to do something like this puppet show because it's so big. I mean, these puppets are, they're giant. <laughs> and like, we've been building them since. They're so big. I, yeah, they're huge. We've been building them for almost over a month now, maybe six weeks. And um, 
you know, it's been incredible also to be a part of putting together like this whole process of creating a puppet show. A lot of us had no experience in this. We brought in some, some people who had done this before, but what we saw is like, we created a space in every single build. We've had seven builds. Now our last one is tomorrow. We've created a space where people can come together and make art, but also we're in there talking about LNG and we're in there talking while we're painting puppets, talking about um, how, why we got into environmental organizing. So it's, it's really like this um, incredible meld of art and activism that I think only, I think in New Orleans is like, a, this is a really right place for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, coming from a former school teacher, um, it's almost and if you want to get anybody to listen or to learn anything, yeah. you have to get their attention. You have to get them to be engaged with it. And this is really one way to do it. Uh, yeah. So I really respect and that. And I was a former school teacher. <laughs> yeah, you, you were too? Yeah, I was a high school teacher after Katrina. So I do bring a lot of those skills to this work also, for sure. Excellent. Yeah. I knew yeah. I liked you. School teachers I bring a lot of the like loudmouth student energy. <laughs> yeah, you're the class clown. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's really. I mean, that's really great. I mean, there's. Um, I mean, obviously, there. This is something that has to be presented to people, and it has to be sort of like you mentioned the teach-ins, and you mentioned things like that. This is. This sounds to me like another. Another different, just a different scale, a different type of teaching, and understanding the spectacle of it all, and 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 sort of also identifying the stakes by doing it the way that y'all are doing it. So that's really interesting that you're you're going about it this way. So that's really cool. Yeah, I, yeah. There, just, there has to be a way that people can <laughs> enter this movement. You know, mm-hmm. I like climate anxiety exists to the point where we've all heard the term climate anxiety. Like mm-hmm. that's nuts. That's a terrifying world to live in and it feels extremely overwhelming. And I think when there's a problem that large, like when there's something that hard to tackle, it almost feels like why even try? I don't know where to start. And mm-hmm. like, I think the success that we've had so far, you know, we haven't stopped the petrochemical industry at large and achieved a Green New Deal and, you know, global communism or whatever we're going for. Yeah. <laughs> the success that we have had is because we're like trying to demystify the process of, you know, fighting for a green future. Like, what it has to be is people connecting with each other. There's no way any one person can do anything meaningful in this fight. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard for even a lot of people to get together and do it, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take a lot of people getting together and doing it for us to have any sort of success. And right now I think an unfortunate pattern in environmental organizing is like, you know, it's either, people whose lives have been torn apart by uh, some sort of environmental disaster or some sort of extractive industry, like being forced to kind of be leaders of this movement because 
it's so personal. Um, and those are people that we absolutely should look to and listen to, but like, that's one way in. And like another way in is, you know, people getting like nonprofit jobs, which is extremely limiting and like definitely isn't the answer that's going to get us there. Uh, you know, those might be part of what helps, but there needs to be a way for just regular people to channel the feelings they have about living in a world that's getting hotter and hotter. And especially living in a Louisiana that's getting hotter and hotter, like in some sort of productive way. So trying to create spaces where people can like learn and share the things they already do know and express themselves artistically or, you know, if you have other ways that you want to jump in the fight, like people just need to bring what they already like to do to the table because it's definitely necessary when the stakes are as high as they are. And like what we have to tackle is so huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're saying. Oh, for real quick, pause station. I do. You listen to WHWLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade, Benjamin and Sage from Sunwise Movement uh, New Orleans Hub. Um, what I really appreciate about what you say is that like there there needs to be a way to break through to people who I mean, like there we, we live in a society where there is so much um, so much stuff that you can be doing. First off, people are busier than they've ever been in their entire lives with work and with just maintaining their, you know, their regular state of existence. But also, um, there's also like m more distractions than that that can ever that have ever existed that I can I can remember. And 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 we need to find a way that that can. Uh, th that can bring people in that is appealing to them so that they can invest and we need to provide on ramps for them. And, and that's, that's really how you can, can build the majority yeah. necessary to, uh, to actually, you know, take what is, I mean, what feels like, you know, what, what feels like just the people who only, you know, the people who are most connected to, or like what, what can feel isolating as the people who feel like they're, they're, they're only, the only people in the world that care about this. Um, but when you, when you actually have conversations, when you actually talk to people, when you actually um, put on events that people are interested in, you'll find out that people actually are receptive to these sorts of things. The reason that they don't engage is because they feel powerless and isolated and able to distract yeah, themselves also, from these sorts of things. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I want to also add that like one of the beautiful if you want to call it that, victories of the propaganda machine of oil and gas was to convince people that it was on them, that it was their fault, that they didn't, if they didn't. Oh yeah. The carbon footprint stuff. If they, yeah. The carbon footprint stuff is bullshit. Like you look, if you look at what's happening, sorry for the language, but if you look at what's, what's <laughs> happening, how, how the carbon footprint of these oil and gas facilities <clears throat> versus the average American. So I've, t I've had these conversations again and again with, family and friends where they they feel just straight guilt and shame because like they don't recycle as much as they should or they don't compost as much as they should and they somehow have convinced us that it's our fault that we are now in the place that we are because we could have been making greener healthier choices for the planet and the reality of the situation is even if we all did that the the, the amount of carbon that these facilities are emitting would overshadow that um, thousands of times so yeah. I think like that is important to debunk too, is like, 
it is not on us, the individual consumer. Sure, we could be making um, choices that would help this thing along, but there are conglomerate oil and gas companies, CEOs um, that have known about what they've been doing and have overshadowed all of our carbon footprint. I am so glad that you brought that up because like, that's one of those things where it's like um, the only people that could possibly ever engage in anything that could ever make the world a better place. They have to be perfectly personally pure in order to do that. And that is just like, well, I'm not personally, you know, it just disqualifies literally everybody from, from any kind of ability to, to, to push back against this kind of stuff. So, and, and, you know, when, when people do start to sort of, you know, you know, that, you know, agree with, or not necessarily agree with, just sort of like go along with it, put their head down and, and be like, Oh, shrug your shoulders and, and move on. Like that's, that's a victory for that propaganda machine. For sure. For sure. Right. And so that's been something that's been happening over the years of like washing around this. And um, it's really time for us to highlight how much information oil and gas, big oil and gas has had since the seventies in these research reports that they've had, knowing about what they were going to be putting into the atmosphere, understanding it fully and pushing ahead 100%. Similar totally. to the tobacco industry. A lot of those parallels are being made right now between oil and gas and tobacco, big tobacco. Yeah. The, the, un, unfortunately, like the biggest, like <laughs> the biggest difference, unfortunately, is that like, Tobacco is like personally dangerous for everybody other than like secondhand smoke or whatever. But like the climate stuff is like the, everybody is affected by that. <laughs> for sure. Oh my gosh. But yeah, same. But yeah. Like I mean, same propaganda tools. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. When we yeah. exist in a world where there's not accessible public transportation and then shame people for, driving a car or you make a product extremely addictive to smoke and then blame, you know, the smokers for their like health outcomes. Like it's like victim blaming. It is. It's victim. Straight up. And like, <laughs> they know like that's the, it's something I just, I feel like I have to like hammer home over and over and over again is that these people know what they're doing. Like, yeah. I I don't think there's a whole lot to be gleaned morally from our, you know, legal process. But, like, there's a reason that, like, when there's intent to do something, we judge it differently than when something just happens. And, like, these are people that I think of as you know, criminals, like they are knowingly causing conditions that destroy entire communities and like cause death and suffering and they're doing it for profits. And so they can go to like weird conferences at the convention center and then like go to, you know, a fancy restaurant in the French quarter, like, that's what they're doing it for. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they're literally like an enemy of the people. They're an enemy of our society, but they're just like treated as though that they're they're you know the saviors or the kings or the people that like you mentioned earlier the job creators or whatever. So I guess um, in our last about ten minutes or so, um, maybe we could talk about our the, the sort of allies that y'all have had brought a, brought aboard, uh, and what are y'all looking to, towards in terms of like. Who, who has been receptive to this sort of um, movement? Who are you working with as well? And, and you know, we can move from there. Yeah, I mean, so I, as far as like allies, mm -hmm. this, is, this is not new to a lot of people, you know, struggling for environmental justice and, and get against environmental racism and the myriad of ways that these industries, you know, harm people. So, um, you know, I'm relatively new to this particular corner of organizing. So a lot of my energy has been trying to connect with people who have been doing this longer than me, who like know better than I do, but also with sunrise, like who are we bringing in is whoever, is looking for a place to connect like this. Um, you know, we've got a focus on younger people, but we are definitely not tied to that or committed to that <laughs> at all. Uh, people of all ages have things to contribute, like that should go without saying. Um, so we're just trying to reach as many people as we can. And I've, I feel like this is not you know, it's not just like a support group. We're trying to get things accomplished, but yeah. enough people feel isolated and bad about living in a world that's getting hotter um, and need to connect. And we're trying to bring in those people to help do something about it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, I would say also, you know, early on, like I was saying, we really went, we went out into Cancer Alley, we went down into Plaquemines Parish, and we tried to really connect with groups like Rise St. James, um, mm. Rochetta Ozane, who's one of our, who's one of the characters in our puppet show, she has an organization called the Vessel Project out of Lake Charles. Also, James Hyatt, who we're going to be highlighting in the puppet show, has an organization called Better Bayou. Um, and like the Rochetta's organization is really a mutual aid organization to try to get people on their feet so that they can have be resourced to to fight this fight in Lake Charles because a lot of times people are really worried about their own you know paying their rent and being able to buy groceries so they're not they can't have the luxury of being an, an organizer so um, yeah these are people who've been like I said doing this work really out of like a loss of their own homes and like their communities. And so they've been forced into it, but they're teaching us a lot and we're extremely grateful to have had an open channel with them and, and helping their organization and them teaching us about what we needed to say here in New Orleans to connect with them. There's a lot of frontline groups, especially in Cancer Alley in Southwest Louisiana that have been doing this work for a long time. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and I guess uh, the, the final question, uh, where can people get more information about uh, not just uh, this um, this weekend of, of the um, 
Energy of America Summit, um, but also um, if people wanted to plug into um, things like uh, the Sunrise Movement, where can people get more information? I mean, people yeah, can definitely check out our our Instagram. Um, you know, another great corporate entity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, we're stuck with some of them. Again, we're not we're not pure here. <laughs> we can't be. Yeah, exactly. But if you just check out Sunrise Movement New Orleans or the Sunrise Movement uh, nationally, it's pretty easy to get involved. Um, we meet regularly in person. Uh, we have events happening all the time. Um, really just like search for us. You'll find us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if they if people wanted to participate in the or, or wanted to participate in the event um, on the weekend of the the conference, how could people get more information about that as well? Yeah, so all those details are up on our Instagram. We just posted a revised flyer, um, but essentially January nineteenth, the last day of the summit, we're meeting in Jackson Square with our puppets, with a lot of frontline groups, and we're going to march. We're gonna have a little rally and then we're gonna march from Jackson Square in the French Quarter to the convention center where the convention, the summit is happening um, with the puppets and hopefully with a lot of people. So if you'd like to join us, come, come around Jackson Square before 11, before we start marching. And then once we get to the convention center around 12.30, we're gonna have our street performance of the giant puppet show. And um, we'd love to have as many people there as an audience for that show as possible um, to show them that, yeah, they're not allowed to come here without some opposition and without seeing the resistance of the people that are not in agreement with, with what they're talking about inside that summit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a good time. Um, so like being a part of, you know, helping to make the show happen is like exciting. And like, if I, if I wasn't, I don't know, just like you should be there. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> oh, great. Well, maybe we'll have to talk to, uh, with y'all again uh, afterwards, and then we can talk about what y'all have going on down the line. If y'all come back on the show, you're welcome anytime. Uh, awesome. Benjamin, Sage, thank you so much for coming on. Good morning, comrade. Anything you want to say on the way out? Uh, continue to have a good morning, comrade. <laughs> this is going to, this is, Playing on Twelfth uh, Night, right? Uh, yeah, Sex Saturday. It's All Saturday. Right, well, but, uh, yeah. Had, <laughs> well, I made it so far without swearing. Every <laughs> 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 That's all right. Forty-six, thirty-three, and fifty-eight minutes. I got it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, us. this is huge. Yeah, we're, totally. we're happy to come back anytime. Well, perfect. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Good Morning Comrade. You are listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. We love you. Bye-bye.